Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Football Die podcast. Uh, we've just witnessed the game of the season so far, I think, as Chelsea drew 4-4 with Manchester City in an incredible game, really entertaining end-to-end old-school Premier League game, which we'll be discussing in detail this week. I'm with Dave today on the pod, and other games that are really worth mentioning are Wolves' stunning 2-1 comeback win over Tottenham. And we'll ask the question whether Tottenham's second defeat in a row will hinder their chances or momentum at all. And what Gary O'Neill has done to make uh, this Wolves team suddenly look really hard to beat. And after Nottingham Forest's fantastic victory over Aston Villa last week, they were lucky to be on the end of the 3-2 defeat to West Ham this time around. Although it was kind of at their own doing, but frustratingly, Steve Cooper will probably think this is a chance missed to actually gain more points on the Premier League table. We'll be looking into that game also. But yeah, I think the first place to start, Dave, is at Stamford Bridge. Uh, a stunning 4-4 game, which was, for the neutral anyway, really great to watch. I think there's an element of frustration there from me because I wanted to see Man City lose badly. And they had so much luck in this game. Absolutely. Loads of decisions went their way. They took the lead through an Erling Haaland penalty, which probably shouldn't have counted um, because of a foul that happened in the build-up on Kukurea. And then Kukurea got penalised for fouling Haaland. So it was a really tough start for Chelsea, but they showed a lot of resilience to get back into it. End-to-end goals as well, which is always great to see as a neutral. Um, I think Man City scoring their fourth goal with a huge deflection from a Mirage shot as well made me just think, this is not Chelsea's day at all, despite them playing probably their best performance of the season so far. But Cole Palmer stepping up for the equalising penalty in the dying minutes, that guy's got absolute nerves of steel to do that against his old club. And obviously all the old City players trying to put him off, but uh, he sealed a really good, really entertaining and really, I think, deserved point for Chelsea, who, again, can probably look back on this result as, as, a, as an opportunity to beat City, kind of lost, really. What did you make of, of Chelsea's performance and their evolution so far? And do you think they'll take heart from this performance, despite it feeling a little bit like a defeat in some ways. I think if you look at where they've come, how they've how far they've come since the start of the season, obviously, you know, they didn't start the season well at all. Um, I think the manner of this game and how they actually responded when they did go behind at the very end, um, they never really looked like they're beaten. And I think one thing you can say about them now is they've looked like they've got goals in them. They were struggling to score goals um, yeah. for large periods of time at the beginning of the season. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's beginning to click. You know, obviously, Jackson's starting to, to, to piece things together. Still quite raw in his game, but he's, you know, always looks like he's going to, he sense his opportunities. He finds space in behind defence. You know, he's, he's, he's got the qualities of a proper number nine in that, in that respect. Um, and you mentioned Cole Palmer, you know, I think a lot, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there? And, at the end of the window about what was going to happen with him and whether he's going to stay at City or not. And obviously he did end up leaving. And it looks like it's the right decision in the end because he's he's getting he's playing him week in, week out. You know, he's a young player, very ta- talented young player. And he's showing what he's all about. And he's definitely showing that he doesn't lack any bottle. In t- and then uh, taking that opportunity in, you know, the final minutes of the game. And the England have got another really talented young player coming through it potentially could break into that England side you wouldn't surprise be surprised to see him come in at some point soon in the near future um, but I thought he was he looked threatening all game you know the city's defense were you know terrified of him when he was on the ball in those in those areas and I thought the way he took that penalty the technique that he's got that left foot is outstanding um, it's not many not many players who have that sort of 
ability to strike the ball the way he does. Um, so I, th- I thought the game as a whole, it was just an absolute advert for the Premier League, wasn't it? It was. It was. It took me back really to kind of old school Premier League games when there wasn't any VAR and fouls were let go. You know, it was allowed to flow a lot easier. There were some meaty challenges in there. You know, plenty of yellow cards, a lot of drama. It was, it had everything and uh, that's what we want to see. And, you know, there were plenty of games like that this weekend. I think we've been quite lucky to see the amount of goals that we have and the amount of drama that we have in in, in the league this week. Yeah, I agree. I think Cole Palmer showed real maturity, I think, first of all, in saying that he wanted to leave Manchester City, kind of acknowledging that he wasn't going to get much game time or definitely not as much as he felt felt like his progress deserved. So fair play to him for that. I think Jadon Sancho did a similar thing leaving City at the right time as well in his career. So, you know, City have got a lot of talent, but when they go out and sign, go out and sign a player like Jeremy Doku after Cole Palmer has left as well, you kind of feel for the guy, you know. it's um, Yeah, it's a difficult one to take leaving his boyhood club and going to, to Chelsea to try and find his way. But in this game, like, he his, his attacking prowess was like, it was always on the front foot. And I think that's one thing that really encouraged me about Chelsea's performances. They were looking to get the ball into the box at every every occasion, really. They weren't worried about leaving space behind. They had Enzo Fernandez, I thought, mopped up really well in midfield whenever they did go forward. And another former Man City player in Raheem Sterling had a fantastic game. He looked like Sterling of old, I thought. The way he pressed the City defenders was the, the way City have always done that themselves, you know. And he created chances by just being dangerous in that final third and putting pressure on the defence. And, and, you know, Chelsea won the ball back, I think, in Chelsea in Man City's half quite a lot. And that led to so many openings. So, you know, the intensity from Chelsea was was great. I was really kind of worried about their defence, I think. Uh, Kukurea as well, I've not been his biggest fan. But I felt, I felt like he got forward quite well. He was a, a kind of a positive point for a lot of their attacks. Um, I think Pochettino deserves a lot of credit for not discouraging that. And I think Foden was quite nullified as well, despite having um, Kukurea in front of him. So yeah, Man City had a quiet game, really. I'm really annoyed that, that City themselves managed to get something out of the game. I don't think they deserved it, really. And uh, we've talked about VAR too much, I think, in the last month, haven't we? Uh, if, if you focus on some of the decisions that kind of have been made, um, and the most surprising one for me was that that Haaland penalty that was awarded because there's a tussle in the area between Kukurea and Haaland. Haaland pulls back Kukurea in the first instance to get that kind of extra yard advantage. And Kukurea just does the same thing back to Haaland, who then collapses like a, a deck of cards and gets the penalty. And yeah, it was a foul from Kukurea on Haaland, but that wouldn't have happened had Haaland not got in front of him in the first place by foul means. So frustrating, I think. And uh, Chelsea can rightly feel a little bit aggrieved that they didn't take all three points. Yeah, it is one of them which was, you know, it was how they interpreted it. But I do feel as though Chelsea probably could have defended certain situations a little bit better. There was obviously the Akanji goal where, you know, Chelsea have actually been pretty defensively solid on set pieces this season. Um, so I, th- I feel like there there will be instances in the game where they probably felt like they could have dealt with situations a lot a lot better than they did. But there's also a lot of, re- you know, lot plenty of reasons to be to be positive. And I think the, re- the real areas that they were struggling in at the beginning of the season, particularly in the attacking areas, they're showing, you know, there's signs there and that they're actually progressing and going in the right direction. And I think another player who actually probably deserves a bit of praise, actually, I thought Conor Gallagher had a really good game. I think particularly, again, there was a lot of questions about his 
his future in the in the in the summer window as well, and potentially him him leaving. I think somebody put a bid in for was it Everton put a bid in, bid in for him forty million or they got rejected. Yeah, I, I think he's surprising. been really good, and it's it's evident that you know Pochettino likes him. He's in the team most weeks, um, and I thought he offered a lot of energy in midfield. Really, it was really important in that aspect in kind of matching City's midfield, and I thought he used the ball really well. So. Um, I think he's a name that probably doesn't get mentioned as much as he should do, but he's 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 definitely a player that seems to be progressing, and and uh, hopefully he'll he'll continue to do that. Yeah, another encouraging sign I think for Chelsea fans was seeing Captain Rhys James back in the back in the side as well, and uh, played almost seventy minutes I think of the game and really acquitted himself well. And it makes you wonder how how much better Chelsea could have done had they had Reese James for the entire season so far. And also Ben Chilwell, you really miss his presence on that left-hand side because I think as a wing-back pair, they're probably the most dangerous in the league, aren't they? So I think if you think of Chelsea without those two players and then how different they are with those two players, they, I think they have to play differently. So I'm really curious to see how Pochettino uses Reese James as well because he's not the most robust player, is he? His injury record's been really difficult of late. But if he can stay fit, he's a real good defender, actually. Uh, we talk about his attacking uh, skills, but I think he, he kept um, he kept um, a lot of the city attacks quite quiet, as well as you know fulfilling his attacking duties really well as well. So Chelsea really miss him, I think, and him coming back into the team gradually will be yeah. just a tonic for them. I thought he did really well, and I think you know we, we know what he offers in the offensive areas. He's one of the best you know around. Really, he's got a great delivery and showed that. Um, with his obviously and his assist as well, um, I think he's got to be managed a bit more cleverly. I think obviously he's got these these issues where he seems to get a lot of niggles and sort of like obviously strains, which he'll obviously know himself, and that's the reason why he's obviously pulled out of the England squad. He doesn't want to obviously risk um, anything. I think he's obviously only got played for was it six got pulled off after about sixty eight minutes was it? Yeah, that's it. So he's probably not 100%, but it, I think it's kind of testament to him. It just goes to show how important he is to this Chelsea team going forward. And like you mentioned, Ben Chilwell as well. Um, mm. that I think the sooner they can get them back fully fit, it will do Chelsea the absolute world of good. Mm. Well, it brings them back into the top 10 picture at least. And uh, I think on the evidence of today, we can definitely see Chelsea climbing higher than what they are now because as a squad and as a team they're really talented and uh, missing key players as well like a lot of teams however I think they're sort of finally Pochettino's finally settled on like a settled 11 as well like his preferred team is becoming more obvious by the game and that makes such a big difference as well I think but the the only thing that's been holding them back from consistency is that starting 11 being the same for more than two or three games in a row but it feels like it's getting that way now. That could be key for them too, couldn't it? Just having players that know that they're kind of the preferred option for each position. Of course, yeah. I think it's easy to forget how new some of these players still are. Um, and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight in, in gelling and, you know, making these relationships and connections with, you know, your teammates on the pitch. It's always going to take time. And, you know, it seems like there's evidence there that suggests that, they are building these obviously connections and relationships on the pitch, and it's, it's a very, very, it's a relatively young team as well. Let's not forget, like Kai Sado, uh, Enzo Fernandez, both really young players. So you got Mudrick who's coming in, Cole Palmer's in. It's a, it's a really young side in, 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 um, in actual fact. So 
it will need time it will need patience but there are signs that they're going in the right direction yeah well i think man city dropping points as well has kind of been greeted with a lot of joy i think on social media by obviously fans of like arsenal and liverpool especially it was just behind them but tottenham will be kind of relieved as well won't they because they've lost a couple of games now after their defeat to wolves which uh would be completely soul destroying for them to lose in the manner they did Two very, very late goals uh, for Wolves, which, uh, you know, it's credit to their resilience as a team, Wolves. They've come on a lot this season under uh, Gary O'Neill. But Tottenham losing two in a row, it didn't seem likely a few weeks ago, did it? Ange Postacoglu getting manager of the month for three months in a row, his first three months in English football. They look like sort of the, the, the team to be. Now they've lost the couple. Do you think they'll be worried at all? Do you think there's anything that you saw from either of the last two games that will give you concern that they can actually title for the, the challenge for the title at all i don't know if worry is the right word to use um i think they'll be a bit concerned in terms of the players opposite they've lost i think losing a bit yeah. of momentum that they have because you know they had the wind in their sails they were you know flying really um, and they came into this game you know full of confidence first five ten minutes they were outstanding and in wolves couldn't really couldn't really um they couldn't really match them for that short period at the start of the game. And they scored an outstanding goal with Brennan Johnson, who's, you know, looked really sharp when he's actually come into the team. What is evident is that whatever player plays in this team, Postacoglu's got them playing for him and they are all ready to, to obviously commit and, you know, contribute. And that's something, that, again, that we saw, obviously, um, in the Chelsea game, obviously, when they were playing with nine men, they were still playing you know, playing well, they didn't roll over. It was you know, fully committed to the cause. And I thought in this game, there were periods of the game where it was evident that they were missing uh, James Madison, particularly yeah. in that final third. I think they looked a little bit lost at times when they did get the ball. It's almost, there was a bit of indecisiveness, really, of, of what to do. And I think they didn't really have that him in there to kind of speed things up and pick the pace up whenever they needed to. That was evident, and I thought Son had a very quiet game because of that as well. Um, but I don't think you can get too down. I think I think one thing for me is how they are starting games and how they are actually playing games at the pace that they do. It's just you know it's great. It's a great uh, contrast considering the kind of football they have played, obviously over the last two or three years with some of the managers that they've had. I think it's absolutely it's you know it's something that fans can actually look forward to now, just actually playing this 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 brand of football that they are. Um so again, like you mentioned, I thought Wolves did particularly well, especially in the last twenty minutes of game. They they just looked that intensity and the, the the game was it was a great game of football to watch. Um I think uh, Mario Lamina thought he was central to everything. I thought Someone who's actually really impressed me for Wolves of late and every time I've watched them is Totti Gomez It's uh, in the defence. I think he looks yeah. a real player um, Agreed, and yeah. a real find. And uh, it just, it's testament to a lot of the scouting setups at some of the clubs this season. We've met with, you know, recognising the talent that's coming through and some of the younger players that are kind of being brought from overseas and brought in. Um, I thought he was great. I thought he... It was like a wall, literally. Spurs' um, attackers really struggled to kind of to beat him, to be honest. And um, like you mentioned, the goal, the, the winning goal, was worth, that was worth winning any game, wasn't 
Stunning, absolutely stunning. Well, I think the way the ball came across to him was difficult to kind of bring under control. Uh, but Sarabia brought the ball under control out of nowhere, plucked it out of thin air, balanced it on his foot kind of delicately, and then rifled it on the volley in almost like a seamless move. So the scenes at the final whistle, because it was obviously at Molyneux as well, was just like euphoric, really. And I feel like it's a real turning point for, for Wolves' season. And, you know, we spoke about him on this podcast before and how we were doubtful about Gary O'Neill's ability to kind of make them, you know, reach the heights of challenging for Europe that we've seen in the past. And while I don't think that's going to happen this season by any stretch, I was having them down as relegation candidates at the start of the season. But you've said before, you know, don't sleep on Wolves. They've got a really talented team of players that just need to be fashioned into a team that's hard to beat, first of all, um, and also believes in itself. And I think scoring two goals after 90 minutes to beat Tottenham at home shows a huge amount of belief in, in themselves and in the manager they've got as well. So real credit goes to them for that. And like you say, Lamina and Sarabia as well had, I think, probably one of the best games each individually for Wolves since they've joined the club. And how many players for Wolves have flattered to deceive so far since they've joined in the last year or two, especially, you know, after having such a core team of players that have kind of left and departed all at once. They're trying to rebuild again, but that central core of the team has been amazing. And I, I, we said it before, Swang as well is such a, an awful, annoying player to play against, but you want him <laughs> on the team, don't you? Because he just fights for the cause. And that's the kind of vein that we've got going through this Wolves team at the minute. It's just they fight for everything. I think the only thing I think you can probably criticise them for is that there's a bit of indecisiveness to the decision-making in the final third. You saw it especially mm. in the first half. Awesome. They had a lot yeah. of they had a lot of opportunities in the final third where they could have easily created an opportunity and it was just decision-making just wasn't, mm. wasn't there. Um, and it was there for a period, obviously, in the second half. I don't think it helps that they've lost Pedro Neto again. He's he's really probably the key man for them, um, and probably one of the most decisive players they've got in in the attacking third. Um, but you know you can't question what obviously Gary Neal was doing. I, I saw him on uh, Monday Night Football the other week. I think, you know he seems like a really intelligent guy. The way he wants to play football, and I think the the areas that he kind of identifies in his analysis, and it was. You know, speaking about kind of how we identify sort of like you know opportunities and weaknesses sort of in 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 games and sort of yeah. how they how they can open teams up. I thought it was really fascinating watching, listening to him. So you know, I, I hope they can go, you know, build on this now because they're, they're a talented team and something that they've not struggled to do is actually bring in some, you know, talented players over the last few years continuously. It's like on conveyor belt at the minute. Mm. Um, sit in a similar vein to, to Brighton, probably not quite as successfully, but, um, you know, they, d they don't lack the eye for, for talent, that's for sure. Well, they've moved up to 12th in the table now, uh, which is incredible. You know, they're only a point behind Brentford and Chelsea, we've just talked about sitting in 10th and 11th. So, how this league can change in the middle of the, the table is, is ridiculous, isn't it? It just shows how, how tight and compact it is. And I don't think, back onto Spurs, I don't think they've got any reason to be concerned, really. Don't forget they were missing quite a few players for this game, other than Madison. Uh, Christian Romero was suspended. Destiny Doggy was suspended as well for 10 red cards in that, that crazy match Van the week. Nicky Van der Ven as well, who's been a key player for them and one of the best signings of the season. So 
you know, I think it's the first real test of, of Tottenham's squad rotation. I thought um, I thought they defended really well in this game. I thought true, the, the defensive yeah. display up until that probably the Lamina goal, the winning goal. Um, excuse myself, I did actually say that the Sarabia goal was the winner. It wasn't, um, but up until that, that was probably the only moment in the game where they actually had a lapse in concentration at the very end, um, yeah. where they kind of lost. Um, Lamina lost his man too easily and just found that space and you know finished really well. But uh, apart from that, I thought actually Spurs defended brilliantly the whole game. Well, to go from um, Christian Romero and Mickey van der Ven to suddenly Eric Dyer and Ben Davies as well was a bit of a, a shift, wasn't it? And there were two players that had come under fire in the last season or two for just not being consistent or good enough. So, yeah, they held firm, but they were under a lot of pressure for most of the game. I thought Wolves really punished them really and uh, kept pushing and it paid off so fair play to the Wolves and uh, you know Gary O'Neill continues to prove that was like me completely wrong so fair play to them really um, and another team I want to focus on as well for what we perceived to be a change of fortunes last week was Nottingham Forest who obviously beat Aston Villa in like sensational fashion and deservedly as well and they've not had the best run of form until that particular performance but They'd been playing pretty well and they looked almost like Forest, like they were trying to kind of achieve that kind of result through the way they were attacking and countering and, you know, playing the, not playing the possession game, just counter-attacking really effectively. And it worked against Villa, but in the game against West Ham, they lost 3-2 in a game that I think they should have won. They should have kept that momentum going. I think fans of Forest will be fuming and frustrated with how that game was lost because two set pieces against West Ham, you know, the team with James Ward-Prowse, arguably the best delivery of a ball in the Premier League. You know, you can't concede corners against them. You can't concede free kicks against them because they'll punish you, and they did. And Forrest conceded in their first goal through a sloppy pass, a mistake that deflected off another player and fell into the path um, of of West Ham's um, attackers. was just like, it was just elementary stuff. And I think, again, I think Steve Cooper don't, he won't be kind of like too disheartened by this result about how it affects the momentum. Fans rightly will. But it's just another kind of missed opportunity. They could have taken West Ham to the cleaners in this game if they finished their chances and defended better, really, couldn't they? Yeah, like you say, it was a step forward and a couple back, really. Yeah. I think particularly in the fashion of last week's you know, victory um, and considering probably the best part of their game last week, Last week was their defending. You know they were absolutely outstanding in how they defended, and that was this week's downfall, which is you know obviously even more disappointing. I think frustrating, you know, more than anything for for Forest fans. Um, you mentioned the first goal was just ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. You know, it was just playing out the back, and obviously they've lost the ball in a dangerous area, and you don't want to be giving the ball to with a player of you know Pakatars. Um, you know, ability and the way he can strike the ball. I thought it was a great goal. It was, it took it really brilliantly. Um, but I thought there was moments in, in the game where Forrest looked really good. You know, obviously Alanga, Alanga's goal was great. First time finish. Great celebration just... as well. He was absolutely thrilled to <laughs> score that goal, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, he was. Take, think... take the book in, um, in his stride because, yeah, <laughs> he deserved the goal and uh, he, sh- he should be scoring more like that as well, shouldn't he? Because he gets mm. in those positions and he's a good finisher. We know that, don't we? I think there's a bit of a relief in there because I think he gets tainted a lot saying that he doesn't produce enough sort of his end product 
isn't always there, which is it's understandable. You know, he's still let's not forget he's still a very young player as well, and he's not really been getting consistent senior football really until yeah. this season. His first season, United you could probably argue, but was in an absolute the club was in an absolute mess and he didn't yeah. really there wasn't any stability there at all. This is probably his his first you know, his first club where he's been able to sort of showcase what he's all about and he he looks like he's gonna be in the team most weeks, which is you know, it's, that's perfect for him for getting, you know, ninety minutes under his belt. Um, it was great to see him score. It was great to see you on the back in and on the score sheet as well. Um, and we just—he highlighted again how how uh, efficient he is in front of goal and how efficient he is in that team. His way of you know they, the way they set up to play to him, he is absolute key to to the way that Forest want to play mm. their game. Um, but. Again, it's it's just disappointing because it felt like last week was the moment then where they really kick on. Again, I think it's also important probably and it's something that Steve Cooper won't let it kind of get them too down a feel in that um, there, are, there are things that are really positive with Forrest at the minute. And yeah. let's not forget that. What that def- performance we saw last week, I think that would be something that will highlight to them the way you defended last week. You know, you, you yeah. can do it. It's just a couple of silly mistakes that are in there, and we saw it quite a lot last season, didn't we? As well, um, so frustrating. And I think, yeah, you're right. Is this away record as well? They've just got to shake off this really rubbish away record and whatever obstacles they've got mentally, maybe of winning away from home. Because you know, the city ground they really capitalize on what the crowd gives them as well, but. This game was so full of examples of how they could have won the game. And a one year, like you say, I think you could have had another. I think Ariola made a fantastic save from him, didn't yeah, he? Did. So they should have been probably, what, 2-1 up at half-time. That's a whole different story then. And Steve Cooper was kind of lamenting that fact um, and saying it was like our own stupid mistakes that kind of cost us. And that's the game in a nutshell, really. So loads to kind of dwell on for them and to kind of learn from defending set pieces needs to be something that they go back to the training ground and do because we were kind of saying how defensively on the ground at least they were great against Villa Mm. weren't they they were stopping everything that came their way Uh, there were moments of that against um, West Ham as well where you know if the ball's played on the ground they actually stop the attacks quite quite well quite quite Mm. comfortably um, but any time it comes into the box from from a corner, especially when it's James Ward-Prowse delivering it, you're going to struggle with it. But I argue the case that Forrest should probably look to sign a, another better striker in January because the drop-off from a one-year down to Chris Wood is, is quite steep. And, and even though they've got Langer and Gibbs-White as the attacking threat, that focal point's really important to the way they, they attack, isn't it? I think the way they want to attack with speed and you know they want to be from one, one end of the field to the other in you know, as quickly as possible. It doesn't really suit the way that Chris Wood plays. So when if a one is out injured or he's you know he's absent for whatever reason, it's always going to be a massive change in the, the way they're able to play. Unless you know you play Alanga as as a number nine or like a false nine. I think they've done it, had to do it a couple of occasions. Um, but it's not the same. You know, it's completely different. And then you're taking your wide man, you know, your wingman kind of out, out of position and. Then you've got to obviously bring somebody else into the wider position. So, and Alanga's, you know, he's, it's evident that he's much better on the wing than he is kind of in a more central role. So, I, I, yeah, I think they probably could look at bring somebody in with the in the ilk of his, you know, his style and his style of play. 
Um, I think they need to definitely. because I think he's perfect. I think he's absolutely perfect for Forest. Defensively, they'll have a few concerns as well because I think Murillo got to get substituted uh, with an injury, and uh, I think the international breaks probably come at quite a good time as well to try and make sure his recovery isn't rushed. And he's been a key player for them, hasn't he? We've talked about him in a little bit in the last uh, podcast. But the response we got from Forest fans was that, was that they feel they've got an absolute megastar of the future on their hands. And uh, how the scouting department found Murillo is, is, is remarkable. And I think he's going to have big clubs sniffing around him in the summer, this this coming summer as well. He's been really solid in defence, hasn't he? I think you sung his praises last week for just how mature he seems for a 21-year-old as well. If he's out for any length of time, they'll miss him, won't they? Definitely. And... Um... Yeah, he's a player that stood out in every game I've watched him this season. I think the first, second time I saw him was against Brentford. And there was a moment where he just showcased his his ability on the ball, where he danced by about three players. Nearly scored the goal yeah. of the season. Danced by about three players and literally just struck the ball. The keeper made a great save. And honestly, I'll, there's not many times when you just kind of jaw drops watching a game of football but I was in that that's one of their moments that they kind of did literally drop my jaw and he yeah he's a player who's got a lot of quality and hopefully it's it's just a a, a niggle and nothing serious because he's been absolutely fantastic for Forrest ever since he came into the team and mm. what was evident to me especially when Steve Cooper just brought him into the team pretty much straight away um, I know we had, we've had a few people mention about how great he's been around the, the training ground and how much of a professional he is. Um, mm. I thought last week was kind of a mark of his character, actually, when um, the chap was on the trumpet playing the... Uh, yeah, for the Remembrance um, yeah. commemoration. Yeah, I don't know what that actual tune's called. The, but young the one lad. that I play. Yeah, he struggled, think, didn't he? I think he struggled at the end of it, but made a great job you know, for the majority of it. But I think he he was the first player to go up and actually just, you know, give him a pat on the pat on the shoulder, which is just shows great character for me and just sort of the sort of personality that he's got. So let's hope he's, he's you know, it's not it's nothing serious. A bit of a compliment to the way West Ham found the result in this game as well. They're ninth in the table at the minute. And you know, they're one of these teams that I can't decide how they're gonna do this season because there's occasions where I just look at the way they play and think, oh, it's so predictable, it's so dull. Even winning the game like they did with kind of relying on set pieces, oh, it's just so David Moyes, isn't it? And I don't know what West Ham fans feel about Moyes. I think the consensus generally is that he's probably reached his ceiling, but he keeps kind of staying around that mid-table to upper half kind of finish that might be probably where they'll finish this season as well. That's kind of par for the course for, for a David Moyes team. I think West Ham are better than 10th in the league, though, don't you? They've got a team that's definitely more like a, a conference league contender through the league position, definitely. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how much more patience and time he gets, really. Um, because, you know, they've got some great players in there now. Mm. You know, the, the, the likes of, you know, Alvarez, who's, you know, massive player when he was at Ajax. He's got great talent. Obviously, Mohamed Kudus, who's you know, looks a world beater on his day. Paqueta, he's, he, again, was nearly moved to City, didn't he, in the summer? You know, that's without mentioning the likes of Jared Bowen. And yeah, I just think they've got some real talent in there. And it almost feels like they should be... I, th- I think 
I think it's more about the kind of style of football that they want to be playing, really. I think they just want to be a little bit more attractive and a bit more easy easy on the eye to watch. They could Um, be easily. If they were coached in a different mm. way, they could play like neat passing triangles and attack with speed and dance their way around players. They've got players in there that are more than capable of, of playing possession football and, you know, playing brilliant passing triangles and working their way through the transition. But they don't. They kind of still play in a very British David Moyes old style Premier League way and you look at some of the names on the team sheet and you think you know Lucas Pakitar should not be playing any kind of long ball system you should you know shouldn't be trying to capitalize on mistakes from the opposition to score and when they do kind of adapt to try and play that more progressive expansive football I do think it works so they just need to just take their foot off the the break really and just kind of go a bit more held for leather because I think some of the players they've got they can really do much better than what they're doing at the moment. Well, it's a competitive part of the Premier League as well. And I think recruitment is, is key to that. And there's teams above them in the league at the minute who are at least on a par with them for squad strength. So it's just about playing style and coaching. And that's why we see the likes of Brighton doing so well. Roberto De Zerbe is an excellent coach. And uh, David Moyes has his limitations, I think. So he deserves, I think, praise for getting West Ham to where they are and achieving what they've done. But I don't know. I don't think it takes much for them to sort of change him over for somebody better and upgrade do you? I think it's uh, it's one of the things that's only going to take a couple of defeats for West Ham to sort of realise maybe it's time for a change fans probably feel the same as well I think yeah I think it's, it's like you mentioned it's going to be another one thing where probably languishing sort of in between you know around 14th 15th 13th place in the league or mm. you know having them bad spells like last season where they were you're languishing around the the relegation zones, and you know there was a lot, there was a lot of a uh, of fear really about potentially going down. And obviously that really good surge towards the end of the season, coupled in with the obviously the com- the conference league, which obviously went on and won. And we did think that would probably be maybe the final sort of hurrah for David Moyes, didn't we? And probably think that was probably yeah. the point to kind of you know say that's that's me and that's a perfect way to end it and maybe someone else to come in might have been the right thing to do that's again that's another thing they're highlighting who you are going to bring in it's again there's a lot of clubs who've got it right obviously you like mentioned deserve who's done an absolutely outstanding job at brighton but you know that's something that brighton have done really well and their decision making in that club they've done it absolutely unbelievably so Again, it's there's a lot a lot of names out there. It's the question is who, I suppose. Well, it'd take a brave decision to kind of sack a manager like David Moyes after what he's achieved. But um a team I want to talk about quickly before we wrap up the pod is, is Bournemouth, who did just that this summer, didn't they? They let go of Gary O'Neill, appointed Andoni Iriola, who's had an indifferent start to his time in England. Um, but they beat Newcastle 2 0 at home in Bournemouth. And it was the first time I think Bournemouth had actually started playing a style of football that I think Iriola was trying to ingrain in them. It's sort of almost clicked all at once. And uh, Dom Solanke got two goals against Newcastle as well. Um, another weird narrative poetic game involving Eddie Howe against his old club. Um, actually, no, against um, Bournemouth rather, because I think it was uh, Wolves against Bournemouth last time where it was Gary O'Neill at the centre of it. It's Eddie Howe this time, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, but 2-0 to Bournemouth against Newcastle. Um, just quickly, that's a an incredibly impressive result, isn't it? And something that Bournemouth needed, Iriola needed, I think Dom Solanke needed as well with his two goals. Yeah, because they've they've had a tough run, haven't they? they? I think perfect timing, really, and against a team that were absolutely flying in Newcastle. 
Um, but probably the right time to play them. Newcastle had mm. obviously got a lot of injuries, a lot of absent players at the minute who I'm sure they would love to have in there. And it's just happening probably at the wrong time. But in fact, probably the international break is probably coming at the right time for Newcastle with some of them players to come back. Um, but yeah, Bournemouth in this game, it was obviously, I'd say they did the unexpected. I think a lot of people would have expected Newcastle to turn up and probably turn them over, to be honest, with the way Newcastle are playing at the minute. But full credit to them. I thought they played this re- played the game really well. Um, in terms of energy and in and out possession, showed a lot of intensity, obviously, on the ball. Um, quality, I thought Clive, it was nice to see him actually come in and um, he looked a real yeah. threat. He's not played the most... Um, as many minutes as he would have liked to feel this um, uh, so far this season, and he had a, a, a couple of moments of real quality in the game. But like you say, Solanke, the main man, um, coming in with the yeah. two important goals. But I thought that some of the defending from Newcastle could have been better in in moments, particularly. I thought I thought Solanke, the way he took that goal actually, Solanke is that strike at the near post. That when I first saw it. I thought, should the keeper be doing a little bit better there at his near post? But then he struck it so hard. It was almost like, it was literally like a quarter of a finish, quarter of a second to react. And before he knew it, before the goalkeeper knew it, it was by him in, you know, in a second. So, um, it'd be interesting to see where they go from here now, Bournemouth, because we were just kind of waiting for them to show some sort of consistency. We said it obviously with Forrest last week on the back of, back end of their, Really positive result. Can you know? Can Bournemouth now kick on from here after the international break and you know put a put a run of games together because they've got a you know really talented manager in there who's trying to implement this this way of playing. We've seen it in dribs and drabs, but they have really actually struggled just to kind of put it together, haven't they? But there were yeah. signs in this game that it's actually starting to to click for them. That's for sure. Well, I think without Philip Billing in this game was a big statement as well because he's been so good for them going forward. Mm. But also, uh, Neto was back in goals and there's been question marks over you know his suitability for this system. And to be honest, he wasn't at his best, but Bournemouth still managed to find the win. So yeah, credit to them. Newcastle are a weird one, aren't they? Because I think I've heard rumours today that Eddie Howe is now under consideration for losing his job and they're looking towards the likes of Zidane to replace him and stuff like that. And I know it's all rumours. I hope it is anyway because Eddie Howe, has been transformative for Newcastle. And I think to consider him as, as being under threat for his position after what he's done and what can, he continues to do, really, with players still like you know, Fabian Shaw in the team, you know, these aren't players that should be challenging for a top four place in the Premier League. Um, it, that squad is, is not as good as Eddie Howe's making them look. Madness to think that he could be losing his job. And surely that's just the rumour, right? That can't be true. You never know what to believe, do you? In this in this game, like it was just full of surprises, really. Like, especially with managerial seconds, and you know, especially in the last couple of years, it's been ridiculous. Um, so again, nothing would surprise me, but I think that'd be a, the wrong decision to make if they were, you know, going to pull the trigger. In what is, I'm sure that actually the, the players would, you know, be against it as well. You know that it's. It would completely stem the flow of positivity that, that's just around the club at the minute. Yeah. Um, and I think the reaction of the fans to the in this game just showed, I suppose, the expectation that they've got now with how well they have actually been playing. Obviously, Trippy had that run in, didn't he, with with the, with the fans and basically just said, you know, there's no need to panic. You know, we've got a lot of injuries. We're, yeah. we're playing well. 
it's you don't know that's it's just got to be understanding of the situation really um which just shows that the 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 players know they're going in the right direction, and to, yeah. to get rid of Eddie Howe now will kind of go completely go against everything that they've done in the last eighteen months to two years. Yeah, working on um, pretty tight resources, really. I don't think they've been able to spend the kind of money they'd like to for FFP. So it's been down to coaching. One of those coaches really that's kind of proved his worth and earned his money. So yeah, madness to think of him as, as under pressure and definitely not somebody we ever saw losing his job this season, I don't think, unless Newcastle had an absolute nightmare, which they haven't. You know, they're in the Champions League still um and in with a shout. So yeah, we'll see how Newcastle progress. But that's it for today's pod, Dave. Uh, I won't talk too much about the other entertaining game in the league, which was Man United beating Luton 1-0. Even though that now makes United one of the most informed teams in the Premier League and sitting in sixth in the table, which seems ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 1-0 battering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, another f- forgetful game, really, to be honest. Um, yeah, really odd. Very odd stat that isn't it really that they're the informed team in the league considering the absolute rubbish the absolute rubbish they've served up in majority of the games this season. No draws in the the only team that hasn't drawn in the league as well, which is crazy. Um so yeah, yeah we'll see so very confusing uh strange time to be a United fan, really. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> It's um, it's not. Uh, I was going to say it's not dull watching United, but it is dull watching United. In a minute, they labour to wins, don't they? But at the minute, I'll take sixth place in the Premier League because it's uh, it's not where it, they deserve to be. Just, is it? The crazy thing is they've only scored one goal between the forwards, attacking players. Yeah, I think ninety-two percent of our goals have come from other midfielders or defenders. Yeah, they need to I mean, we can't even score that many goals. I think we've scored 13 goals in the league, so it's not yeah. it's not that much. It's not that many anyway. But yeah, considering, I think the real thing, the strange thing, obviously, it looks like a matter of time before Hoyland starts scoring goals. Like he's he's always on the end of opportunities, looking finding the right areas in behind defence, find space really well. I think he's been a bit unfortunate. Um, obviously, he scored that goal that was disallowed in the Brighton game as well. So I think it's a matter of time before he bags a couple and, you know, he's not struggling yeah. to score in the Champions League. The only problem is in the Champions League, we're struggling to defend um, and we're leaking goals in the Champions League. So Yeah, it's an odd one for United yeah. at the minute. Bit of a bizarre it? season so far. Yeah, to say the least. Anyway, to finish the pod, Dave, we've, we've hit a thousand subscribers on YouTube and I just wanted to take this opportunity to say to anyone that has taken the time to go over to our YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button to like any of our videos or to even stream any of our podcasts on uh, Spotify or Apple. What a huge thing that is for us to get to that milestone of a thousand subs and a big thank you to everybody who made that possible because we love doing this, Dave. We've been doing it for nearly three years now and uh, it's one of those things that to see fans of other clubs kind of relate to what we're saying and to, to leave comments about things we're saying about their club and joining the conversation kind of makes it worthwhile doesn't it because that's the thing that makes it the most enjoyable is just connecting with other fans really isn't it yeah i mean the journey has been a long one hasn't it really with to get to this point um yeah but yeah you mentioned we obviously spoke earlier in, in the week about we put a video up didn't we on youtube of the um on the forest game last week and some of the comments were just like actually really rewarding to to read and just to hear from from fans and just kind of 
that to know that they value sort of our opinions and our our content is actually really rewarding um so it's, you know fully appreciate it and hopefully we can we can keep building and go on to uh, bigger bigger things <laughs> well i think we just need to deliver like a no clickbait promise to to anyone that listens to us or watches us because uh that's not what we do is it and we'll continue to kind of stay as true to ourselves as we can as the channel progresses but yeah massive thank you for helping us get to that milestone and as always dave thank you for your time mate hopefully have miles back next time we speak and yeah as always now more than ever glazes out mate see you later see you soon